THN is brought to you by Legend Comics and Coffee in Omaha, Nebraska. Creators like longtime listener and friend of the show Carl Smith and by listeners like you. Go to TwoHeadedNerd.com and click Donate or visit Patreon.com backslash TwoHeadedNerd to become a supporter. Hacha! Picks up where we left off last week. Broadcasting from the Ziggurat at Omaha, deep below the metro area. It is our pleasure to welcome you to episode 505 of the Two-Headed Nerd Comic Book Podcast. My name is Matt Baum. It's the post, 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 post landmark episode. That is correct. I'm the Internet's Joe Patrick. In this week's Countdown to Thanksgiving episode, we'll be reviewing 10 of this Wednesday's new comics, including Marvel Knight's 20th anniversary and The Green Lantern number one. Not just any Green Lantern. The the, the Green, Lantern. Green Lantern, if you will. Then it's down to the THN Sanctum Sanctorum where we'll discuss our must-read picks for next Wednesday. And finally, we're putting on our nerdy thinking caps and playing Ask a Nerd. But before we start stoking fears of a Moloid invasion to fill our PayPal coffers, we better talk about this week's Nerd News. Gross. You feeling okay? No. Yeah. I'm not. My throat is full of phlegm. Yeah, mine too. Hey, I've got great news, Matt. Oh, cool. What's at, going on, Joe? At a panel <laughs> at the recent MCM London Comic Con, Frank Miller revealed that he's currently working on a Dark Knight 3 spinoff book called The Golden Child, featuring the children of Superman and Wonder Woman with artist Raphael Grandpa. What? I love Raphael Grandpa so much. Why? Because that guy is awesome. No, 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 no. Not why do you love him. Oh. Why are we getting more Dark Knight Returns bullshit? Well, I got to ask first, how drunk was he when he said this? Like, do we know what's happening or is it just well, like- Well, it was probably during the day, so I bet he was plenty drunk. <laughs> yeah, like a doddering old Frank came out. That's not all. Uh, grandpa. You know what else I'm doing? You know. <laughs> No, I, who who could possibly care? I didn't point? even finish Dark Knight Three. I, I stopped. Don't think it sold well either. I didn't. Uh, I, who keeps asking for this? Why I, uh, do they truly. keep going back to Dark Knight Returns? Stop it! Well, we also talked not too long ago about DC like giving Frank Miller a bunch more chances to do this shit and yeah. writing for their new like kids line and stuff and like uh no he's doing a black label book uh the superman year one didn't he have something that he was doing with like the their teen books as well not that i recall i, I could remember us going like why would you ask frank miller to do yeah, that well i mean i just stop it stop it dc i know so bad uh yeah dark knight 3 the master race did not sell well at all so i have no idea why they are doing this it's just bizarre. Maybe it's like that John Byrne uh, X-Men book that he's just drawing for fun. <laughs> he's just drawing for fun and hoping somebody will publish it someday. Could be. I God, I have no clue. I don't care, and I have no clue. Moving on to Avengers Infinity War spoilers. Marvel Studios is developing a Falcon Winter Soldier television miniseries for the Disney Play streaming service. Didn't both of them turn to dust? Yeah. <laughs> <You know? laughs> yes. They, I guess they're all right. <laughs> yeah, they both went away. They're feeling much better now. It's going to be written by Empire writer and producer Malcolm Spellman. Empire, the uh, Fox series with Tarashi B. Henson and... Uh, Terrence Howard. Terrence Howard, yeah. yeah. You know, Cookie. 
Sebastian Stan debuted. Cookie, right? I think so. All right, right. I've never. They're seen like it. record producers. I right. don't know. Sebastian Stan debuted as Bucky Barnes in Captain America: The First Avenger. Went on to see. Yeah, we know this. Why did you even write this? I didn't write this. This is cut. I, <laughs> I cut and paste this shit. This you know is that. now the third reported Marvel Studios TV miniseries in development at Disney Play after a similar Scarlet Witch and Loki project. Paul Bettany's The Vision will have a large part in the Scarlet Witch series, according to Slash Film, which is fine. You could do them there. I don't think anybody really cares yeah, I mean, about it's the Vision be, in the movies. Yeah, right? Vision in the Scarlet Witch. Vision is the weakest character in the Avengers movies. Uh, Tell me I'm wrong. I mean, he lifts Thor's hammer. That's cool. kind of cool. He does, That's and cool. consistently gets his ass kicked. Yeah, he gets beat up a lot. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's true. We know Disney Play is coming, an anticipated launch in 2019. This is now three huge miniseries with movie stars. Yeah, it. Loki... Vision and Scarlet Witch, and yeah, whatever this new thing is called. This is Disney swinging for it, going for it. Yeah, they're really big swinging for the fences on this. Stuff. Yeah, which leads me, which makes me wonder: are they, are they going to start leaning into this more just to tell these stories? No, Kevin Feige did an interview where he talked about, uh, you know, he, obviously he's pretty cagey about it because the Fox buyout isn't finalized and the uh, the streaming service hasn't launched yet, so right. there's only so much you can say. But he's like. The movies are still our bread and butter, but this is a way that we can continue on with some of these characters. It's really cool. And we know from things that he said in the past that the next phase of Marvel movies is going to pretty much change focus to a different group. I mean, we're going to get sequels to Black it's Panther fantastic and stuff. Four, right? It's Fantastic Four, right? Uh, you know, he's... It's got to be. He's real dice. He's just like, eh, can't say, can't say. It's got to be. I know. Uh, but yeah, we know that it's going to shift focus away from like Iron Man and Captain mm -hmm. America and, the, and those guys. And, uh, so this is a great way to continue on with those characters, characters that everybody loves. Right. And show me villains that I would never see in the movies. Oh, hell Please. yes, dude. Like line this up with a bunch of dumb villains. All the stupid Avengers give villains. Me a, give me Trapster. Oh man. Give me the Trapster. <laughs> I want to see the Shocker. <laughs> in other Marvel news... The return of Wolverine writer Charles Soule has shared more information about his upcoming serial in the recently announced return of Marvel Comics Presents. Do you I remember that shit? I loved Marvel Comics Presents it was, back in the day. It was it was such a great anthology. It was mostly terrible. No way. <laughs> it had some there, good stuff. There was like one good story and then two really shitty short yeah. stories. Uh, yeah, for those of you that don't know, Marvel Comics Presents was uh, something that ran through the uh, late 80s and 90s. It was three or four stories per issue and they were like small chunks so yeah. like you'd get a wolverine story told across like 12 chapters yeah it was great and of course his we saw the original weapon x story isn't it marvel comics presents uh yeah weapon x right? uh yep weapon x was uh barry windsor smith yeah uh i don't remember how many parts it was probably about 12 yeah i think uh, it was 10 or 12 parts and of course charles soul is writing more wolverine this time covering his past from the 1940s to the present day here's a quote it's a 12-part story called, tentatively, Wolverine the Vigil. Tentatively, Wolverine the Vigil is a weird title. It is, really. <laughs> <laughs> and each segment is set in a different decade, moving forward, starting during World War II in the 1940s. Uh, this was in his newsletter. He's got his own newsletter. What a fancy pants. Sold us? Yeah. Psh, what does this guy think he is? I don't know. Come on. Paulo Sequeira will be doing the art. Uh, he says it's dark, almost a fantasy or horror story. Am I very excited about it? Beyond that, wait and see. Ooh, <laughs> uh, Soul and Sequera previously worked together on 2017's Hunt for Wolverine number one backup story, Hunter's Pride. Cool. Which was about 
Kitty Pride. You know that because it's spelled with a Y. Oh, okay. I just thought they misspelled it. Yeah. Uh, yeah, Mark, you know what? I love it. It's not going to sell. No. Those books never do well. No. I don't know how Marvel Comics Presents last as, as long as it did. It was like something like 150 issues. But it was like back in the day, books like that could sell for some reason. Well, and you still had newsstands and stuff too. Right. Like comics like that sold. You put Wolverine on the cover and people just bought it. Yeah. They didn't give a shit. But you like know? anthology books are a tough sell in today's they're market. They're a very tough sell. I don't know what they're going to have to do other than like, if they say, look, we anticipate this to sell at a certain level, but here we can give creators that might not have a shot at, a, at the character they want to do a shot here and just see what it does and see what fans say and see what reaction is like, like the Marvel tryout book. Almost. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. That would be kick ass. Get somebody big to do the main story and then a backstory by creators we've never heard of or creators that you can't believe would work on that title. You know, I mean, that's a lovely idea. It won't happen. It's a sales disaster. Yes. <laughs> well, right. You know, you're trying to drum up PR here. No, I, I get it. I get it. That is your nerd news for the week, but I'm sure we missed a ton of stories while standing in line to vote. Vote, you motherfuckers! That's right. God damn it! <laughs> like, your lives depend on it! This will come out after they've already voted. I know. Just so. <laughs> Let's not brag, because we don't know what's going to happen. Like, yeah, we kicked their ass! Yeah, eat shit! And then it's like, oh, the next week we have to apologize. We record ahead of time. Up your butt, Tom Bacon! <laughs> So hit us up on the THN Forum's big news section, or better yet, tune in to Cover to Cover live every Saturday where we broadcast on Facebook Live. It's our Facebook page. From 1130 to 12.30 Central's time, you can talk to us live. Did I mention it's live? Live? On THN Cover to Cover. It's your live nerdy talk show. So damn it, you better call us live at 402-819-4894, or you can go to Facebook and click the Call Now button on our Facebook page live. If you can't be there live or leave us a message or ah, if you can't be there live, leave us a message or you can send us an MP3 to twoheadednerd at gmail.com. Now is the time for review time in the Ziggurat Joe. I see you've donned your ceremonial review robes and I am wearing my Thundercat fur cape, boots and bikini bottom. Let's get into this. Yeah, uh, very ceremonial. I'm comfortable. That's what's important. You're you're comfortable and respectful. Yes. <laughs> My main review is of the Green Lantern number one. That's right. Not just any Green Lantern. The the Green, Green Lantern. Lantern. It's from DC Comics. It's written by Grant Morrison, with art by Liam Sharp, colors by Steve Olaf, letters by Tom Orzakowski. That dude lettered like Uncanny X Men for decades. It's 40 pages for $4.99. Here is your solicit. Superstar writer Grant Morrison returns to DC alongside red-hot artist Liam Sharp to launch a new ongoing series, The Green Lantern! In this debut issue, when Earth's space cop Hal Jordan encounters an alien hiding in plain sight, it sets off quite a chain of events that rocks the Green Lantern core and quite possibly the multiverse at large to its very core. Who damn. They use core two different ways in that same sentence. I don't understand. There's an intergalactic conspiracy afoot as well as a traitor in the GL Corps ranks, so strap in for more mind-bending adventures in this masterpiece in the making. Well, the important thing is is that they're proud of it. Yeah, 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 yeah. We know it'll be a masterpiece. It's just a matter of time. Right. 
<laughs> uh, Graham Morrison is a pretty polarizing figure with comic fans these days, at least around these parts. Maybe for dummies. Some of his weirder tendencies turn off some readers, while others, like Matt, will defend him with his last breath. Here, Morrison takes a bombastic approach. It's all surface with no subtlety. It's all, ho ho, and you'll never catch us now, copper. Oh, and yeah. <laughs> bring me the heart of the weaponeer. Bold characters making bold declarations and announcing every intention. That lack of subtlety in Morrison's script isn't a bad thing, though. It totally works with the almost campy Silver Age feel he's trying to capture. I wasn't sure that Liam Sharp was a good choice for a cosmic space adventure like Green Lantern, but his work in this issue is undeniably beautiful. His thick, hyper-detailed style is an insane amalgamation of Jim Starlin, Simon Bisley, and Robert Crumb. Like, when we see Hal for the first time, he's laying on the ground staring into the sky, and I thought, I swear to God, it looked exactly like a Robert Crumb drawing. Really? That's what I thought. Okay. He fills the issue with dozens of wildly different alien creatures with brilliant designs, and when his Hal Jordan finally charges up, he crackles with awesome power. This book is wonderfully vibrant, thanks to Steve Olaf's radiant colors. This book is so bright, it's and like everything pops off the page, especially on the alien worlds. Oh yeah, without a doubt. I was, though, a little turned off. If I had one small complaint, I was a little turned off by how thick and bulky Hal's ring constructs looked. Does that make sense? Like, DC colorists in the past have done a great job making lantern constructs look like what they say they are in the comics, like hard light that forms itself into shapes. This looked like thick, wacky, like a, one of those wacky hands that you slap on the wall, you know, like <laughs> slimy. Is that what you're saying? Li- like- no, like lime green, rubbery, thick. I enjoyed the heck out of the green lantern. Number one. And I'm loving this back to basics approach. And I'm looking forward to more space cop adventures with Morrison and sharp giving it a buy it. Yeah. This seemed to bring, and this, and this is going to sound bad, and a lot of people will be like, I don't want that, but it seemed to bring a wackiness back to the Green Lantern that it's been missing for a long time. You know, and, and a wackiness, not in like slapstick comedy, but in sort of like a wild west cosmic lunacy with crazy aliens that speak in weird languages and shit, you know, and like they look super weird. Not to mention the fact that Liam Sharp, I don't remember him drawing like this. I remember him being very good. I don't remember him having this kind of style. Yeah, this has been, like, he did the same kind of stuff on Wonder Woman, that really thick kind of... I mean, I guess. Maybe it's just because I haven't seen him drawing stuff in space, you know? Sure, and right. a lot of aliens. It was a little shocking for me. It worked so well, though. I loved this. And it reminded me a lot of, like, 2000 AD comics that I really like, where there's just, like, no rules. It's just bonkers. All manner of weird shit going on in outer yeah, space. right. <laughs> And it was just a really nice breath of fresh air. I feel like Green Lantern's been way too serious for way too long. I'm giving this a huge buy it. Matt, what's your review this week? My review goes to Marvel Knights 20th anniversary, number one. It's written by Donnie Cates with art by Travel Foreman. 40 pages for $4.99. Here's your solicit. In celebration of the legendary imprint funded by Marvel CCO Joe Quesada, a new crop of talent stands poised to tell a groundbreaking story across the Marvel Universe. In the cemetery, the blind man does not know who he is or why he's come to this particular grave at this moment. He doesn't know the burly police officer with the wild story who has approached him, which sounds like after hours kind of like Stranger Things. Yeah, right. 
or the strangely intense man who sits in the rear seat of the patrol car, which sounds like, you know, threesome. His eyes flashing green. But all of that is about to change because Matt Murdock is beginning to remember. In a colorless world without heroes, the spark of light must come from the dark. <laughs> Donny Cates has been flipping the Marvel U on its head everywhere he's been writing, which, for the most part, has been the Marvel Cosmic U. That said, he's also been writing a Venom story that I cannot believe I actually enjoy. But I suppose it, too, has one foot in the cosmic. Here, Cates takes on Marvel's Knights cast, Daredevil, Punisher, Jessica Jones, more to come, I'm sure, and is giving readers a very fun mystery with a classic supervillain twist. Most of this is a setup for a bigger mystery, and no spoilers here, but this isn't just a case of Daredevil losing his memory. It is much bigger than that. Travel Foreman has been doing amazing work at Valiant for the last few years, and while I hope it continues, I gotta say it was great seeing him drawing Marvel characters that I love. That said, I cannot believe this creative team decided to bring back the bullseye with the literal bullseye carved into his forehead. I understand why they might need it for a plot point, but wow, do I hate that leftover Ben Affleck Daredevil movie bullshit. There is some truly beautiful paneling here especially the last page of Matt Murdock's story with the blurred city lights in the background. Foreman is so talented at illustrating motion, and I can't think of anyone better to draw Daredevil right now. Marvel Knights was never my favorite imprint, but it's also not a bad place for these street-level heroes to live. I like what Cates has started here, and it'd be nice to see characters like Daredevil and Luke Cage save New York from a threat that the Avengers and the FF might not even know about. Now, please, bring Shang-Chi and Iron Fist back in a way that we'll all care about for a change, Mr. Cates. That is all I'm asking. I'm giving this a buy it. I loved it. I thought this was really fun. I, I like the... I like the mystery. It's a big mystery on a, on a small level, like small stakes, right. right? Right. It's not like Galactus is here. Holy shit. And I, I like how it's so far reaching and also very grounded. Definitely. Because from a solicit, we had no idea anything like this was coming. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's, it was hard to tell from the solicit where the story was going to go. Right. Um, the art was great. Travel Foreman had an inker. Uh, he didn't do all of his, he didn't ink him his own work. So it does look a little different than what I remember on his DC stuff. I thought it um, looks way tighter. But yeah, it was not, tighter. That is not exactly. to say that he's not good. He likes to do real bombastic paneling type right. stuff. Right. But you're, you're right in that the addition of the inker tightened that artwork up. Definitely. Uh, and I thought it looked really good. Uh, the cliffhanger, the reveal at the end was super exciting. So yeah, uh, buy it from me. I really liked it. And you are crazy. Marvel Knights was great. I didn't love it. <laughs> it was fine. It yes, was you fine. Did. Kevin Smith's Daredevil, Christopher Priest's Black Panther, Paul Jenkins and Humans. You're out no, of your I mind. No, I know. I get that. Those, it started really well, but it just went to a really crappy place after a while. No. So that is a double buy it for the Green Lantern and a double buy it for Marvel Knights number one. We're going to post our written reviews over at twoheadednerd.com so they can be used against us in the future, of course. But we want to hear from you, too. Call us, email us, tweet at us, Facebook us, write your opinions on a whooped-up copy of Knights of the Pendragon number one, and mail it to us. Whatever works for you. But we need to know, what did you jerks think of these comics? I think a little bit of writing on Knights of the Pendragon might actually improve its value. Could.
Matt, Halloween is over and it's time to take down all the chains with hooks on the end, the spinning pain pole with gore all over it, and whatever the rest of this Hellraiser bullshit is. Now put on your rubber gloves and start picking up pieces of face. Right, all right. I don't want to hear another word about it. The only thing I want to hear from you is reviews of eight more of this Wednesday, November 7th comics, while we clean this mess up during the Ludicrous Speed Round. Ludicrous Speed! Go! Giant Days, number 44 from Boom. I've heard nothing but praise for John Allison's Giant Days, which features a close group of friends studying at the University of Sheffield in England. This is inarguably a terrible place to just jump into the story, but I instantly fell in love with the characters and Max Saren's art. Allison's dialogue is funny and charming. It's no wonder that this series and its creators have been nominated for Eisner's seven times. Damn. I'm definitely going to pick up the early trades and catch up with this great cast of characters. Giant Days 44 get to buy it. The Empty Man, number one from Boom. Cullen Bunn is back with another monthly horror title, and this time he veers from the supernatural to a uh, super plague. The Empty Man is the name of a disease that's a little more mellow than the sheer naked insanity of Garth Ennis's cross, but equally scary. The main character is watching his wife slowly fall victim to a virus that starts with hallucinating and ends in rage and death. All the while, murder cults are popping up celebrating the disease as the government is setting up internment camps for the victims. Really nice art here by Jesus Hervas, whose desperate thin line brings real-world psychosis to Bun's new horror title. This was good and disturbing, feel-bad comic booking. I'm giving it a buy it. This is actually the ongoing... Uh, continuation of the Empty Man miniseries that Vanessa Del Rey drew. Or, oh, that's right. Or maybe okay. it was Vanessa Del Rey. Yeah, I think it was. I think it was Vanessa Del Rey. Outer Darkness, number one from Image. Star Trek meets Event Horizon in this sci-fi horror tale from Choose John Lehman and the amazing Afu Chan. Mankind has colonized the galaxy, but during our interstellar travels, we discovered a terrifying secret out in the outer darkness of space. Join Captain Joshua Rigg and the crew of the starship Charon as they encounter demonic possessions, hauntings, cosmic horror, decapitated godheads, and more. Damn! This is a ton of fun. Layman's script is full of creepy ideas like a warp drive powered by a captured Sumerian god, <laughs> and they have to sacrifice prisoners to it. It's gross. Oh my god. <laughs> Chan's art is breathtaking, and his use of color is mesmerizing. I am definitely on board for more Outer Darkness. Buy it. James Bond, 007, number one from Dynamite. Greg Pak takes on his first James Bond writing gig for the Dynamite Bond Adventures and promptly introduces us to a new Asian agent that wears a bowler hat, just like Odd Job. Okay, I thought that was Odd Job when you showed it, it to me. I was like, not- that guy is way too handsome to be Odd Job. No, it's not Odd Job, but just like Odd Job, from the best Sean Connery Bond film, Goldfinger, come at me, I dare you. Pack's script is fast, action-packed, and does a solid job establishing the new agent as a worthy foe, ally, mystery guest? I don't know yet. (laughs) Mark Lamming's art gets better every time I see it, and he's fantastic here, doing almost photo-reference realism with great action. There was one panel on the last page that threw me for a minute, but it was just bad competition that made a character look like they were wearing one sandal on their foot, and it was turned almost all the way backwards. (laughs) James Bond 007 number one gets a buy it. Typhoid fever. X-Men number one for Marvel. <laughs> Why did you say it like that? I don't know. It just came out of Cajun. She's not Cajun. 
Typhoid Mary has gotten a major power upgrade and is running amok in Hell's Kitchen, and only her classic nemeses, Spider-Man, Iron Fist, and the X-Men? Okay, to be fair, stand in her the, way. She was the villain in the last Iron Fist series. That, yeah, fair enough. I get it. You know, I'm not saying it counts. I'm saying Look, it's still stupid. Daredevil is nowhere to be found in this. Nah, in this he's busy. He, was, he, he lost his memory, remember? Yeah, oh, sure, yes. <laughs> this comic reads like the most Phil Inniest of Phil Ins. Clay Chapman's script has some interesting moments, like when we see how Mary sees the world uh, as a soap opera. But it's mostly one long, infuriating fight scene. Power boost or not, I have a hard time believing Typhoid Mary can wipe the floor with a team comprised of the most powerful mutants on the planet. We're talking three Omega level mutants, and she's kicking their asses. No problem. It's Typhoid Mary we're talking about. Yeah, right. Plus, there are jarring shifts between artists Robson and Bayruth, neither of whom are suited for this type of story. This little mini-event has been going on with zero fanfare from Marvel, and I can see why. Typhoid Fever X-Men gets a leave it. I kind of thought this was like a digital first thing they were printing again. Maybe, I, I don't know. know. Yeah. Road of the Dead, Highway to Hell, number one from IDW. According to IDW, this is the prequel to the Road of the Dead movie that the late George Romero left unfinished when he died last year, but I can't find any info on a release date anywhere on the internet. And let's face it, Late career Romero is not great career Romero. But we can fight about... Oh, sorry. But we can fight about that on the forums if you like. Our main character is a tank commander who comes up with all kinds of creative ways to cuss at least once in every sentence. The story is pretty boilerplate zombie road trip stuff right out of one of the more boring Walking Dead episodes. Really uneven art, too. Nothing much to see here other than bad dialogue and a continuation of Romero's smart zombie story. That's in quotes. He started in the Land of the Dead that I have no interest in revisiting. I am giving this a leave it. Uh, speaking of Walking Dead, Cox Communications, which is our local cable company. Uh, I saw that. They posted a poll on Twitter. Are you excited to watch Rick Grimes' last episode on the walk- of The Walking Dead? Spoilers. They announced it like two years ago. Uh, and it was 79% no. <laughs> I saw that. It was awesome. Anti Agatha's Home for Wayward Rabbits, number one from Image. Keith Giffen's first creator-owned work in years. I didn't fact check that, but it's probably true. I don't Fo- think that's true. No, it's true because they advertise it as his return to creator-owned work. Oh, uh, okay. It focuses on Julie, a young girl that helps her aunt run a shelter for dysfunctional talking rabbits. Giffen's script is sharp and funny, and Benjamin Roman's art is wonderful. The rabbits are hilarious. They reminded me of the cute and fluffy bunnies from One Crazy Summer. Uh, Savage Steve Holland. Thank you. Auntie Agatha's Home for Wayward Rabbits is a great all-ages book with some bite to it. I really loved it. Huge buy it. Doctor Who, the 13th Doctor, number one from Titan. Much to Comicsgate's chagrin, the new Doctor is here. And she's a lady, written and drawn by an entirely female creative team. Jodie Hauser writes the new Doc and captures Jodie Whittaker's voice perfectly. There's a fun, time-spanning mystery. All the companions are here, and I love how the book took time to introduce the cast on the inside front page. This feels like a natural extension of the show with great art by Rachel Stott and Enrica Aaron Anglioni. Rachel Stott is so good. Enrica Aaron Angiolini. 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 
Titan has been killing it with their Doctor Who titles, and this one is no exception, although it does feel aimed directly at old-school fans, not so much to the neophyte. But if you're not on board with Doctor Who by now, you're probably a jerk. I'm giving it a fire. That is your ludicrous speed round, and thoom is the sound of the sentry, quote-unquote, sneezing on Captain Marvel and Thor. Whoa. (laughs) Uh, I think it was slang for, like, wailing on them. Uh, As seen in the pages of The Sentry, number five, this onomatopoeia of the week was submitted by Anno Sionis via the THN Facebook fan page. If you want to submit an onomatopoeia of the week, you can sneeze it all over us. Gross. On any of our social media platforms or shoot an email to twoheadednerd at gmail.com. So let me get this straight. Sneezing was slang for wailing, which is also slang for beating on someone. <laughs> yeah, sure. What are you doing here? <laughs> Look, man, I don't know. He said sneezing, but I read the book and there were no sneezes. Oh, maybe it's a typo. No, I think it, he was just using slang. He was using creative slang. I've never heard anyone say like, oh man, that guy got totally sneezed. It's like when you be, it's like when somebody beats up and you say, oh man, that guy totally ate your lunch. Yeah, no, but nobody says sneezing. That's not right. Listen, take it up with him, okay? Not a thing. Not a thing. Listeners, big news. We have a new sponsor. What? Some idiot has thrown us money? Yeah. Oh my God. A lot. A lot of money. Frankly, it could have gone towards his Patreon, but uh, it's somebody you might be familiar with. A little friend of mine named Carl D. Smith. Never heard of him. AKA Camarillo Brillo. Oh, why didn't you just say that in the first place? That's right. He is the star of such illustrious podcasts as Make Eternia Great Again, which is all about He-Man, and Goad Kicker. And he has a new Patreon where he is putting up all sorts of fun stuff to do with his writing and gaming adventures. The URL is patreon.com slash Carl D. Smith. And this is what you're going to be able to find there. Patron only access to full stories, fun gaming events, breaking news, and even occasional swag. Patrons pay as low as a buck a month. It's charged month to month. There's no long-term commitment. As with all patrons, you can come and go as you please. But it's not just for people that want to pay. There's also free content for public users, including updates and samples of projects that are in the works. Carl has three levels, he calls them, of his work. Uh, One is his all-ages level, where he's got projects like Draw Your Own Adventure and Bigfoot Jones. Uh, He's got uh, something that's appropriate for most ages, horror books like <laughs> most ages most ages uh his horror anthology the horror of loon lake and uh, be careful what you wish for he also has play your own adventure which is a line of game books hex card based solo adventures and full tabletop rpgs then he's got his teen plus stuff only for grown-ups kids his horror books the darkness out of carthage which is like lovecraft meets the punic wars it's fun stuff historical fiction and he's got an upcoming fantasy series cardinal fates go to the patreon now they're currently in the middle of a live playthrough of his first play your own adventure game book it's like a choose your own adventure style branching path novella with rpg staples like character creation and dice rolling all the money you throw to carl goes exclusively towards leveling up his work being able to get his name out there, get uh, his promotion going. It includes uh, tabling at conventions, uh, being able to travel and set up at shows, and all the feedback and encouragement is appreciated, and it's going to fuel his productivity. 
guy is Carl's a great writer. He's, he's a, a great guy. He's a creative juggernaut. He this, is seriously. a huge supporter of this show, and he has been since almost the beginning. He made just he recently made a huge life choice to really chase this too. And like honestly, I think it's absolutely worth throwing some money at this guy. Not because he's a friend of ours, but because he's taking a chance. Okay, folks. Go throw some money across. He quit his job. His family is in a disarray. He quit his job. He ditched his family. If Bigfoot Jones <laughs> isn't a hit, it's your fault. That's right. When we find the body of Carl Smith, it's your fault. All right? <laughs> Patreon.com slash Carl D. Smith. We'll have that right in the notes for this show. Absolutely. Well. Thank you, Carl, for your sponsorship. You're too goddamn sweet to us. clean and the Cenobites are banished back to hell. I got my Thundercat fur outfit all bloody. I hope you're happy, Joe. All right, you big baby. Don't act like this is the first time you got your fur mankini all bloody. God. Let's stop by the infernal dry cleaner of Zagondo and drop off your soiled clothes and then we can head down to the TH and Sanctum Sanctorum for a nice schwitz and a vodka while we tell these nerds about our must-read picks for next week. Only if you're paying. It's on me. My pick for next week is Uncanny X-Men, number one from Marvel. It's written by Ed Brisson, Kelly Thompson, Matthew Rosenberg, with I had it down like Matthew Rosenberg. Matthew. With art by Mahmoud Asrar, 72 pages for $7.99. Really? 72 pages? 72 pages for $7.99. Wow. We reviewed a book last week that was 40 pages for $7.99. Yes, we, it's small, smaller, look, smaller companies. excuse, baby. Here is your solicit. The children of the atom are back, baby. New on ongo- They were never gone. <laughs> yeah, okay, I mean, so. <laughs> can you believe we haven't had an X-Men book in so long? It's crazy. New ongoing series kicking off with a 10-part weekly epic. The flagship X-Men series that started it all is back. And better than ever. Starting with a mysterious and tragic disappearance, the X-Men are drawn into what might be dot, dot, dot. Their final adventure? I kind of doubt it because this is issue number one. X fan favorite writers Ed Brisson, Matthew Rosenberg, and Kelly Thompson. Artist Mahmoud Asrar, Arby Silva, Yildre Sinar, and Pete Perez join forces to bring you X Men Disassembled. Oh boy. Yeah. Oh boy. They're disassembling all over the damn place. I like the cover. The cover looks cool. You've got. I like X-23. all these creators. I don't care for Jubilee. Cannonball is there. I like that a lot. Yep. You've got. Uh, he's also in the new X Force book, Psylocke. But I can't tell if she's like Ninja Psylocke or if she's Betsy. No, she's Betsy. She's still doing the knife thing. Well, she still has the same powers. Did Betsy do that? Betsy never did that. Betsy never did that. That was later on. Yeah, but that everybody, everybody, Psylocke. everybody knows Psylocke for her. You got Nightcrawler with a beard. I mean, he's furry. I guess it's he no trims. Goddamn sense. I guess he trims. I don't know. He, he just is. let he just lets the bottom part of his face grow out. Does it make sense that he has hair on the top of his head? I guess not. There you go. <laughs> And then you got Bishop, front and foremost. Is he Bishop? Like, he's been he's popped up. He's feeling much better. But like, did everyone forget that he tried to murder everybody? Well, I don't know how much of that. He's actually like totally happened. cool with murdering babies because like he went in the future and did all that. But I don't know if only Cable knows that it happened. And we found out that he was possessed by the demon. No, because didn't he accident? Oh, did we? Yeah, he was possessed uh, by the demon bear. Didn't he accidentally shoot Professor X or some shit? Um, I don't think it was an accident. I think you just straight up shot him. <laughs> oh, God. Yeah, what, what's the name of the demon bear? I can't remember. The 
Demon bear. Is it just the demon bear? Yeah, I don't. I don't. It's got a name. I think doesn't it's it? just the demon. Bear. I'm gonna Google the demon bear real quick. Yeah, I can't <laughs> let's see how that works. <laughs> Joe, what's your pick for next week? My pick is Bitter Root Number One from Image Comics. It's written by David Walker and Chuck Brown, with art by Sanford Green. It's 32 pages for 3.99. Here's your solicit. In the 1920s, the Harlem Renaissance is in full swing, and only the Sangieri family, I'm sure that's not how you say that, can save New York (laughs) and the world from the supernatural forces threatening to destroy humanity. But the once great family of monster hunters has been torn apart by tragedies and conflicting moral codes. The Sangieri family must heal the wounds of the past and move beyond their differences or sit back and watch a force of unimaginable evil ravage the human race. This is uh, the creative team of Power Man and Iron Fist, the most recent Power Man and Iron Fist. Uh, I really like Sanford Green a lot. David Walker, I'm kind of hit and miss on, but he's written things that I like. Uh, I don't know who Chuck Brown is, but apparently he is an indie comics veteran. He's done books called The Trench Coats and Cigarettes and Shotguns. Whoa. Yeah, I know. That sounds cool. Uh, I love... Monster Hunter stories, Supernatural, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Buffy. Yeah. I love that shit. Definitely. I love it. Yeah. And this is set during like the the Roaring Twenties, which I think is a great time period. Totally. Very excited. Uh, the Demon Bear's name is the Demon Bear. Yep. Yep. That's... It was in possession of Bishop before being driven out by Psylocke. Good Once job, Psylocke. Bishop is freed, Psylocke takes on the new now Docile Bear as her companion. So now he's called the Docile Bear? The Docile Bear. <laughs> he used to be the Demon Bear. <laughs> Come, the Docile Bear. Oh, man. <laughs> the DHN Trade of the Week goes to Wet Hot American Summer, the original graphic novel from Boom Studios, written by Christopher Hastings, illustrated by Noah Hayes. It's 144 pages for $19.99. Want a steal? Want a steal? Yeah, sure. No. I mean, it's a trade. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Here's your solicit. It's time to shut up and return to Camp Firewood in the first ever all-new original graphic novel for the beloved cult classic, Wet Hot American Summer. Tell you the truth about it, here's Camp Director Beth. Well, guys, we made it through the first week of camp, (laughs) one piece mostly. Anyway, so I gave the Camp Firewood counselors a night off to head into town to do whatever it is teenagers do. And the long story short... It led to a surprise camp inspection. Oh, nuts. Now we have 24 hours to clean up our act or they're going to shut down Camp Firewood. (gasps) Luckily, I have the best counselors in the whole wide world. Wait, where are those little jerks? They're in town still. Oh, God, we are so screwed. There you go. Join the staff of Camp Firewood in this unforgettable story written by the hilarious, deliciously irrelevant Christopher Hastings. Worked on Deadpool and Dr. McNinja and illustrated by artistic dungeon master... (laughs) Noah Hayes. That's great. Who worked on Goldie Vance. Uh, that solicit is very terrible. <laughs> I thought it was great. Uh, I mean, it was written exactly like it would have been written yeah, sure. in the show, you know? Uh, I love Wet Hot American Summer. I do, too. I love it. I do, too. Uh, even the less good 10 years later, <laughs> it wasn't as funny. I really liked it. <laughs> I thought it ended really well. <laughs> it was like President Reagan was trying to teach them a lesson. <laughs> <laughs> I just hope that it translates. You know, it's it's tough it's not to translate, translate to, to comics. comics. It's not going to. You know, I got my hopes up. I mean, it might. It may very well may, but I kind of doubt. Well, hopefully, it's like the funniest part of this is like this group of actors who are so obviously in their late thirties, right? Playing teenagers, sure, yeah. (laughs) Like that is the best part. Well, those are our picks, but we want to know what you nerds are reading too. Tell us what you're excited to read, and be sure to add these titles and anything else to your profiles now. It's 
not more important than voting, it's, but it's really close. It's, I'm going to say it's more important than voting. Your vote doesn't matter. Don't, Don't shut up. What's the point? Shut up. What's the point, man? <laughs> the man's going to get what the man wants. When we run out of ideas for segments on this show, we generally turn to you nerds for content, and you rarely disappoint. This week, one such nerd, a Mr. Black Scorpion the Three, hits us with a three-headed Hydra ask a nerd question. Let's hear it straight from the mouth of the man himself. Take it away, BS3. Greetings, nerds. From parts unknown, remote rural parts unknown, miles and miles away from any comic shop or Walmart, this is BS3 calling in to ask you some powers questions. Uh, years ago, Joe Patrick presented the question of whether or not Matter Eater Lad could bite off Superman's hand. Uh, I thought that was a fascinating question, and uh, the wheels got rolling there, and I started wondering about different powers matchups. And uh, I'm interested to know your take. So without further ado, here are my five powers matchups questions five. for you listeners. Number one, has Pyro ever taken on Dark Phoenix, and could he? Let's stop right there. Okay. Um, so just quick reset. We decided the Matter Eater Lad could, in fact, eat Superman. Nah, nah, I'm not convinced of that. Yeah. Uh, this question, this this debate uh, has been raging for years. It's uh, I thought we settled the this. feverish mind of I thought we settled occasional this. guest host Dave DeMarco. I think we settled this. And you admitted that, yes, you know Matter what? Eater Lad uh, could eat Superman. Maybe you're right, uh, because there was something about... You weren't happy about it. No, I'm not, uh, because there was something about... Matter Eater Lad eating the Miracle Machine, which was indestructible. Yes. Yes. That's exactly what it was. And you relented and said, if he can eat the Miracle Machine, he can eat <sighs> Superman. Okay, fine. Okay, Pyro versus Dark Phoenix. Here's why Pyro gets his ass blown away. Because Dark Phoenix is not actually fire. Right. It's cosmic energy. Right. We've established that like the Dark Phoenix is this super powerful, telepathic, telekinetic, like omnipath. Yeah. type creature and the fire is just like her it's, it's visual yeah yeah the the phoenix is the sum totality of the psychic energy of every living being in the universe right so not actually on fire so pyro see ya. eat shit pyro yeah that would be that pyro can't actually make fire no he, he can control fire that's why he wears a flamethrower so and i see bs3 getting cute here going well like if she's made of fire couldn't he be like, guess what? You're inside out. Bam. Yeah. You know? <laughs> yeah. No, because it's not real fire. Next question. Number two, Dazzler and Claw, they both have essentially the same power. They can absorb and convert sound. So let's say they're standing 100 feet from each other in a showdown. and Someone sets off some firecrackers right between the two of them. Who gets the sound? I want to know the winner of that battle. And number three, Chemistro. You might have to look him up. Whoa, whoa, whoa. whoa. Back up. Okay. Who gets the sound? We'll start with that. Let's talk physics for a moment. Okay. We know that sound travels in waves. It, it radiates out. It radiates out. So they both get In it. a circle. So they both get It's not like an sound. amount of sound. No, 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 no. <laughs> they both get the sound. So Dazzler and Ulysses Claw are five feet away, and somebody lights an M80 in between them. Bang! Really loud. They both get the sound. Yeah. Now the fight starts. Uh, yeah, and let Claw me tell you what happens. Shit out of Dazzler. No, do you know why? Because Claw is made of sound. Yeah, and Dazzler absorbs sound. So you think she can absorb the? Claw? I think that she could like 
smack her hands on the side of his face and suck him dry. I don't think so. Yep. I think Claw wins that fight. That's man. what I think. Because Claude, you like you project the sound back at her. It's so much. I like, think Dazzler is very powerful. Like, is she? Yeah. I mean, we decided later on she could shoot lasers. I guess before it was just like lights. Yeah. I think that Dazzler could absorb Claw. If Dazzler absorbs Claw, does she have to poop him out? <laughs> no. Okay. No. I know. I realize it, I go here a lot. It's not. <laughs> it's not the same thing. Okay. So we're saying Dazzler wins that fight. But the that's answer, what I think. The I question mean, is, they both get. The sound. Has Dazzler ever fought Claw? I don't know. I don't know either. I don't think so. And I don't really know what happens. Because, like, does she control sound or does she turn sound into light? She doesn't control it. She doesn't, like, she absorbs it and turns it into light. She absorbs it, yeah. Right? Right. Like, but she can't, like, walk into a room and make it quiet. And I know that he's made of sound, but he's wearing, like, a suit, right? No. He's just sound. Yeah. He's, like, like solidified sonic Why can we energy. see him? I don't know. Why can you see the living laser? Because he's a laser. Most, most lasers are invisible. No, they're not. Lasers they? are made of light. I think some lasers are invisible. What are you talking about? I think some lasers are invisible. Humans can't see every bit of the electromagnetic spectrum. Okay, fine. Whatever. Look, you don't know shit about lasers. <laughs> you can't see gamma rays. <laughs> Those aren't lasers. That's radiation. Lasers. Lasers and radiation. The lasers are radiation. No, lasers are light. It's different. Okay. Now, oh my God! Let's just back up. We got something here. Claw, made of sound, yeah. shoots sound out of his hand. Dazzler absorbs sound, turns it into light. Yeah. So do they just stand there all day? He's shooting her, and she's just like shining. Here's my question: If Dazzler turns Claw's sound into light, can Claw be blinded? Does he see in a traditional sense? I don't know. It's like shooting. It's like flashing lights at Daredevil. There's a lot of problems. With Ulysses Claw, <laughs> yeah, right. yeah. that we have not. Yeah, examined. Ulysses Claw is not. How a, does he go a to the bathroom, or does he just squirt out a loud fart noise? <laughs> out of his, <laughs> oh, I'm feeling much better through, through his yeah. stereo hand. Right, right, right. <laughs> All right, fuck this. Next question. That was uh, dumb. <laughs> a battle and number three, Chemistro. You might have to look him up. Uh, he could transform uh, elements, right? So. Could Chemistro transform Hydro-Man or Sandman into some other animated element entirely? So could they be like Woodman or, or Rockman instead? Or, or would they just be an animated log? Or Chemistro. Yeah, Power Man and Iron Fist villain. Right. Uh, had a gun that could transmute elements. Okay. Why not? Yeah, sure. I mean, why couldn't he? Okay, so we know Hydro-Man. Hydro-Man is made of is water. made of water. Yeah. Right? And Sandman is it's, made of sand. Yeah. So theoretically, I mean, sand is not an element, but well, no, but but I mean, like everything is made of elements. Yeah, no, I know. <laughs> I get it. So, uh, like, if it's H two O, for example, sure, it could be like I'm gonna add one more O in your hydrogen peroxide. Ha ha, you know, or sure, yeah, right. I would think so. I mean, could he turn Sandman into into wood? I I mean, Sandman has probably. I mean, been, wood's not an element either. But I know, <laughs> like, I, unless we're talking like battle beasts. See, well, like here. when I when I <laughs> when I think about transmuting the elements, I think about like you've turned that hydrogen into oxygen, right? Not like you've turned that chair into a balloon. <laughs> no, that's different. No, that's right. Different. But like you could, you've turned the wood in that chair to plastic, would be more. You know, like transmutation. So like, I guess I don't know enough about how Chemistro's thing works. Let's say it's the Element Man. Sure. Right? And the Element Man transmutes shit into shit, right? 
Like he can, well, he could transmute shit into gold if he wanted to, right? Bam, bam. Switching the elements around. Sure. Okay. But I mean, so, gold is an element. Like we've seen, we've seen Hydro Man like turn to steam. We've seen him freeze. So we know he behaves yeah, like water. Yeah, I'm sure like Sandman has been like fused Sandman, into glass. Yeah, we've seen Sandman turn into glass and shattered. Uh, Sometimes, like when Hydro Man and Sandman fight, they turn into like just this big mud pile. Yeah, so I'm saying, yeah. Yeah, I like could, but then the question is, could if Chemistro, let's say Chemistro can turn, I'm gonna say no, Sandman into wood. No, could because Sandman still like move around and stuff? No, because his power is specifically granular control of these granular sand. So if you when they turn him into glass, he's he can't fucked. move. Yeah, right. Yeah, he's yeah. he's yeah. frozen there. Somebody broke. I think the record broke him or something. I don't remember. Yeah, maybe. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm gonna say we're so we're gonna say yes, he can, yeah. and no, they can't. Yeah. There you go. Case closed. All right. <laughs> Number four. The lifter has a very limited power set. Given his very limited power set, I want to know if it's useless against the blob. Now, I've posted a power question about the blob's powers before, but this is the showdown where you're resolving to me yeah. what the blob's power actually does. We, we are and the finally, authority. number five. Okay, okay. So let's talk about the blob first. Uh, so the blob's ability is to become immovable. Yes, he's an immovable object. Uh, he's also, like, very hard to hurt. Right. Uh, so, yeah, like, the blob's power has nothing to do with him being fat. Uh, it has everything to do with, the like, if he does not want to move you can't move him. Right. He just happens to be real fat. Right. Right. Uh, I mean, certainly there are limits, right? There there has to be limits. He's not a god. Right. Uh, but we have, lifter, seen, we have seen the Hulk pick up the blob. We have seen... Like, uh, the, the, there is always this kind of, this jokey question, like, what happens when uh, the juggernaut and the blob collide, right. right? The blob is an immovable force, Nothing happens. and they, the they juggernaut is an unstoppable blink beast. out of existence. <laughs> right, yeah. Uh, the universe is destroyed. Yeah, they create, <laughs> they create a singularity that sucks all of reality in. Right. Um, but I'm saying the juggernaut, who is supernaturally powerful, right. could- Magic as well. Destroy the blob. Yeah. <laughs> um, the lifter, I had to look up, because he is very obscure. He picks stuff up. The lifter's mutant power gives him the ability to lift heavy objects by canceling the effect of gravity upon them. So if that's true. So the blob's power, we have to decide now, does the blob have limited control over gravity? Over his own gravity. Right. Uh, or, or gravity just really close around him. I will say I have seen I remember an issue in probably the late 80s early 90s when a character named Avalanche was fighting the blob and I'm sorry who Avalanche he was that guy that could like have, you sounded it sounded like you said Avalanche like Avalangela Avalanche <laughs> Avalangela <laughs> no Avalanche and like his power was he could literally make the ground like wave like water almost yeah and, like, he's collapse. like Richter he creates exactly yeah seismic vibrations and he does it and everybody around the blob is like, whoa! And the blob stands there and is like, nice try. It like didn't even affect him. Uh, okay. The blob can alter his personal monodirectional gravity field. Okay. Which means only in one direction. Uh, beneath himself to make him virtually immovable as long as he's in contact with the ground. Okay, so I'm saying the lifter... His power is effectively negated by the blob's power. Cannot pick up the blob. I'm saying that if the blob can only 
The blob can only manipulate his own personal gravity, and the lifter has the ability to negate gravity. Right. Can he negate his personal gravity? Or are they just like, look, we have two diametrically opposed powers that just don't. It's like Cyclops and Havoc, right? Right, right, right. They don't, they can't hurt each other. They can shoot at each other all day. Reasons completely unknown. Right. Like you just because they're related, they just blast each other with their powers, and nothing happens. <laughs> You're right. Uh, I'm gonna say that it's a draw. That's yeah, stalemate. I think if yeah, I think if the lifter can negate uh, gravity for individual objects, and right. the blob can make his own gravity. If the blob is asleep, yes, the lifter can lift him. Uh, if the if the blob is swimming, because <laughs> he's not in contact with yeah, the ground, yeah, then yes, yeah. Then the but, lifter can pick him. Yeah, up. Yeah, so yeah, so the blob better watch his back. Right, is what we're saying. The blob trips and falls. Whoop. Lifter's yep. got him. Yep. There you go. If Sunspot fought Cyclops, oh, he oh. does. And finally, number five, if Sunspot fought Cyclops, Sunspot wins, right? No contest. Those are my powers questions uh, for you. Sunspot fought Cyclops. So Sunspot, for those of you who don't know, remember New Mutants, uh, cosmically charged, super strength. Uh, he's fueled by solar energy. That's right. He's like, yeah, he's like a human solar battery. And uh, he like crackles with solar energy mm-hmm. super strength uh he can uh later on he gained the ability to like project it like blasts yeah limited invulnerability um which doesn't mean anything yeah, right. <laughs> you're either invulnerable or you're not you're right he's like, not invulnerable like right. a tick. Oh, i'm kind of dead yeah. <laughs> all right so sunspot uh is fueled by solar energy that he can then redirect uh cyclops his powers are also fueled by solar energy yeah yeah, yeah but i'm seeing sunspot wins yeah, like uh, now, Cyclops. Cyclops. Time out. Is he is Cyclops fueled by solar energy or yes. is it like cosmic energy? That's like havoc. Is havoc. havoc absorbs cosmic rays? Okay. Uh, Cyclops is fueled by the sun, but in the way that like a solar battery is fueled by the sun. Not like he can't like go stand like he can't like walk into the sun and be totally cool because right, right, he right. absorbs solar energy. So let me ask you this: What happens when Cyclops goes to a planet? With a different colored sun. Like, say he goes to Krypton. I don't know. Right? Uh, I mean, the color of the sun has never been brought up. That's a very Superman. <laughs> right. The color of the sun is a very Superman thing. Yeah, right. I agree. Yeah, I mean, it's like Kryptonians are really the only people bothered by okay, what so color we, their sun is. We lock Cyclops in a dungeon for three weeks. He's very well fed. We, we change his, you know. Yeah, you know, he's, we treat him humanely. We take care of him. Just no sun. Does he lose his powers? I don't well, I mean, if you th- consider that he's been absorbing solar energy his whole life, I don't know. I don't know how that works. So, like, he just very little? Like, he could take a pen light and point it at him? Or, like... Well, a pen light's not solar. Oh, he's, okay, he has a grow light or something? Sure, okay, he <laughs> has a grow light. I think, I think that... I don't think it's well-defined. I don't think we've ever seen that. Yeah, I think that's... I agree that uh, Sunspot could probably win that fight. I think Sunspot would. Because he's got a wider variety of powers. No, we also um, know, but Scott... His powers are not, he's not firing lasers. He's firing kin- force, a yeah, force, force blast, a kinetic blast. Right. So maybe. So Sunspot can't absorb his powers. No. And maybe he just keeps wailing on him and knocking him back. Yeah. That's the thing, right? Like Captain America, uh, Captain America does not have powers, right? He's right. peak human abilities. Yeah. However, he trained most of the Avengers. Sure. So like I give it to Captain America in most fights. Well, yeah. He's Same cat. with Cyclops. Cyclops trained 
most of the people that came through the uh, X Mansion. But we're just saying, including powers, Sunspot. Powers versus powers is what we're saying. I'm not saying like in a jujitsu battle, you know. <laughs> so if they're Roshan Boeing, yeah, right? yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, I guess it depends on who goes first. <laughs> Which is always the case in these fights. Um, I don't know. I mean, Cyclops wins from a distance. Yeah. But if Sunspot gets close, it's probably all over. Because um, he's mean, just a guy. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, I guess I guess what... what If Sunspot can get close, he can tear Cyclops' head off. I guess what BS the three is getting at is, like, do their powers kind of no. cancel each other out? No. And I think the answer is no, one because is they're totally blast. different. Yeah, one is Force Blast and one is, like, solar energy based, I guess. Yeah. So, so he... If Sunspot gets close, he wins. Yeah, uh, yeah. <laughs> I, if at. Sunspot gets the drop on him, yeah, yes, he tears Scott in half. Let me let me ask you this: If you rip Scott's head off, does a laser just come out of his neck? No, no, no. His power is all in his eyes, all in his eyes. So it's his brain. It, I mean, it's, it's his eyes. So if I take an axe <laughs> and I split Scott Summers' head open, right? Does a laser come out of his brain? No. Okay. If I take an axe and I go sideways straight into his eyeballs. If Cyclops <laughs> is going to the bathroom, does he poop force blast? If I shoot two guns into Cyclops' eyes at the same time, bam, bam. It's a wah. Like, no, I get. He be dead. He be dead. And his powers just turn off. Yeah. Okay. And he has to be. I, so, like, Cyclops isn't. Like, if you knock Cyclops out and you open his eyes, what happens? That's a great question. Right? Right? I'm going to say. Is it just like a. Like I'm going to say right? nothing. So you think he has to be awake for the power to work? No, that's not right. Because we've seen flashbacks of him as a kid having a nightmare and like blowing the roof off of his house and shit while he was asleep. Yeah, that's true. But that's also not unconscious. That's asleep. I mean, you're Shit. kind of splitting hairs here, aren't you? No, no, because it's different. <laughs> if I punch you out and you wake up eight hours later and I'm like, oh, I feel well rested and I had a nice night's sleep. No, you were knocked the fuck out. That's different. A concussion and getting knocked unconscious is not the same as going to sleep. I'm thinking I'm I'm kind of torn about this. Right. Uh, if he is not conscious and you open his eyes, do you get shot with a laser? I don't know. I don't know the answer to that. I don't know. Like, cause Gene was able to hold the, hold the laser, uh, the force beams back. But that was just like, like telekinesis. Yeah. She's just blocking him like a force field. Yeah. But his eyes were all normal and shit when she did that. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. I wonder if it's like the Marvel handbook uh, took great pains to try to scientifically explain things that should have just been chalked up to. Right. It's comics, guys. Yeah. Don't worry about it. Shut up. Like, when Cyclops' eyes open, he uh, subconsciously generates tiny portals to a dimension of force energy, and the energy pours from those portals. Like, explaining what happens when Ant-Man grows and shrinks, like the mask gets shunted to a pocket dimension. Right, right, right. It's like, shut up. Uh, <laughs> shut up. <laughs> uh, and I wonder if it's something like that. Like, I don't know. Because it's not like he's like bursting with the energy. Like if he doesn't let it go, it's going to explode. Right. Right. He's not, he just can't control the flow. Of Although it. Havoc has to do that. I don't know. Havoc has to run outside every once in a while and like puke a bunch of cosmic 
black and white lasers into the sky. I don't think we're going to solve this one. I know. With the, with the information we have. No, no, no. no we've decided that uh, I mean, Cyclops who, wins the distance war because their powers don't negate. Yeah. But if Sunspot gets like, close, he tears Cyclops yeah, in Yeah, Sunspot, Sunspot in the same, for the same reason that Pyro, Pyro's powers don't mean anything against the Dark yeah. Phoenix. Yeah. Sunspot's powers don't mean anything against Cyclops and vice versa. Now, could Pyro make Sunfire like date him? forcibly because she's like you know or something like hey you know no because sunspot's not on fire no i'm sorry starfire not sunfire what's her name jessica what's her head firestar firestar no firestar emits microwaves oh that's right she so. just she can make your popcorn yeah yeah that's right mm -hmm. sorry okay she can make it so you can't have no babies no more <laughs> okay if any of you listeners are interested in more Powers questions, I like to keep the forums alive. And in those threads, I just posted God a, bless you a, for a it. series of questions about Spider-Man's Spider-Sense for you. Be well, all. And, and until next time, make mine nerdorific. Excellent question. Yeah, those are great. That is what we do here uh, on Ask a Nerd. This is where you come for this kind of hard-hitting analysis. Yeah, I mean, I feel like... Anal sis. And... and <laughs> Shut up. Uh, I, I feel like, uh, like with most scientific debate, uh, we were able to answer some questions yeah. and not at all answer and some it, others. And it opened doors to new questions. Yeah, new. Yeah, right. New, new trains of thought. Right. Yeah. Let's continue this. There's a thread over in the forums, and if you guys agree or disagree, let's continue it there. I want this fight to go on for years. Super fun. Okay. Like the matter eater lad question. Like the does cannonball shoot fire out of his butt. No. The answer is no. I mean, no, but... No. The answer is no. Don't start. Excelsior! Oh. <laughs> that is it for THN 505. But before we get out of here, Joe Patrick, ask these nerds a new question of the week. All right, this is a pretty heady one. It's a, it's a not our usual fare of, like, who's your favorite boyfriend-girlfriend? Uh, this week's question comes from Ketner. Or boyfriend, boyfriend, or girlfriend, girlfriend. Yes, right. You know, we don't judge just, you. Yeah, they just leave your cisgender bullshit over there. All Look, right. man. <laughs> this week's question comes from Ketnerd via the THN forums. So I was thinking a bit in regards to generational characters and superheroes aging. DC has a tradition of legacy characters, and Marvel has been catching up recently. However, because mainstream comics can never truly move forward, we'll still return to Barry Allen as The Flash, Peter Parker as Spider-Man, etc. Since this seems to be the way it will always be, getting new versions of the characters only to have the originals come back and have multiple generations of heroes exist side by side, how old should certain heroes tap out at? Like, what's a reasonable status quo age for a given character? To retire. What's the maximum age that will accept Bruce Wayne? Or Peter Parker. How old is Kitty Pride? Let's limit this to people, and they can have powers, but not people that are like involved, like Superman, for example. Like, like Peter has spider powers and stuff, but it has nothing to do with his aging. Well, but I mean, I think there's a debate to be had about Superman as well. But we can talk about that when we when we get there. What do you? There was a Superman one million story that took place a million years. Yes, in the I know, future. but there are some stories. And Superman was fine. There are some stories where <laughs> Superman ages, and some stories where he doesn't. I mean, he had a DC beard, can't decide. But that was it. <laughs> we we talked about this before on the show. Like, there are five different Robins, and how old is Nightwing exactly? 
how old is Bruce Wayne if Nightwing is in his like mid twenties? Uh, five years old, right? Yeah, right. So I think it's, <laughs> it's, I, only it's been five definitely years. A, a thought-provoking question worth exploring. Like, when do we say enough is enough? That character just needs to stop and let right. the next generation take over. Right. Would, would like, do we want to read the adventures of like thirty-year-old Kitty Pride or forty-year-old Kitty Pride? I mean, I feel like she's already probably close to thirty, right? Late twenties. She can't be. Why? Because that would make all the other X-Men really old. Yeah, I mean, I guess. Because she was like 15 when she did, or 13 kind of when make, she joined so the X-Men. how old is she supposed to be? That's the question. That sucks. I know, right? God, it's dumb. Comics are, comics comics are, are so stupid. <laughs> THN is a listener-supported podcast, and we want to thank everyone that gets wrapped up in our demagoguery and foolishly donates to our coffers on PayPal and Patreon. Without you nerds, we cannot afford our mailers and commercials full of lies about competing comic book podcasts. <laughs> thank you to our latest patron, Anthony Serco. You were giving him a shout-out. I know, but I'm changing the shout-out. Oh, okay. Uh... Good on you, Anthony. We appreciate your support. You are our new favorite listener. That's right. Screw the you, rest of you. Just moved down a notch. Pound sand. Uh, before we go, our weekly shout out goes to our main man, Willie Toots. It's his birthday today as we record this. Happy birthday. It is your birthday. Happy, happy, birthday. happy birthday to you. That was Birth- like. That was like, I can't remember what it was. It was like Disney put that out and it was supposed to be like a new birthday song and nobody <laughs> bought it. Happy birthday, toots. Until next time, true believers, remember to pre-order your comics or your retailer might purge your vote from the ballot box. This is the Two-Hitted Nerd signing off. <laughs> <laughs>